My job as a father is, like any parent, to try to show our children what it means to look like Jesus and to point them to Christ. That is my first and foremost responsibility to them as, as a father. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, he sees you, and he loves you because you are his. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy Atkins. And I'm Elisa Morgan. Father's Day is a day celebrated by many and dreaded by others. Those of us who grew up in a home without stable dads or who have rocky relationships with our fathers may feel a bit alone on this day. But today we want to encourage you with personal stories and wisdom from Ryan Clevenger, a podcast producer at Our Daily Bread Ministries who works on Where You're From. Ryan is the father of four daughters, despite many ups and downs. Erin, let's have Ryan share his story of how his family came to be in this conversation on God Hears Her. How I got four daughters, that is a very interesting and complicated story. Okay, take us, take us. We like complicated. So I actually, I am married and my wife Jenny was actually on God Hears Mm -hmm. Her before. Had a great conversation. I will do my best not to talk about her because, as my friends know, I often would prefer to talk about her uh, (laughs) and the things that she has done because I think she is an amazing Mm. woman who's done amazing things and whose life is much more exciting than mine. But when we were married for about four years, we had our first daughter, whose name is Eleanor, and she actually came two months early. Two so she months. was a preemie. So that's yep, around two 32 months. weeks. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And so I was actually on the phone with her, my wife, coming home from work, and she had to call the ambulance. Oh, wow. And I got home. She was inside the ambulance. Oh, gosh. You know, that had to be terrifying for you. I was actually stuck on a bridge in the middle of traffic, and I what? could not do anything mm. and end up getting to the hospital and they don't know if it's a, a what's called a, a placenta previa mm. or a vasa previa so uh, my wife is a nurse and she hates when I try to explain <laughs> medical things so yeah. I will I will avoid uh, people can look up what those are um, but in the case of a vasa previa there is a high chance that the baby would die oh goodness mm. and so they did an emergency c-section and that's why she came two months early. And was she in the NICU for a, a good while? Yep. And uh-huh. She was okay. in the NICU for yeah. 33 days. Mm. Wow. And it really didn't hit me until about six months later mm-hmm. because we actually moved shortly after that to another state away from really friends and family. And we moved for school. So I was sitting in her house. I was doing some schoolwork. And I remember having this feeling of, it was just a sudden awareness that I could have lost both of them mm-hmm. in that one moment. Now, in the moment, I felt, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pumping myself up. I'm, I'm preparing myself. I'm telling myself I need to be brave and strong. I need to be there for my wife. And I'm not thinking about steps down the road. Mm-hmm. I am thinking of just in the moment. 
And it really took me about six months before I, I grasped the significance of what could have happened. You know, that right there, Ryan, is so helpful and normalizing. You know, when we go through a trauma, we often, many of us, our defense mechanisms go full steam ahead and Mm. we're able to cope and survive because it's what we need to do. And we think, well, okay, you know, I'm done. And then we're Mm. stunned at the emotional tidal wave that comes, you know, back at us like a tsunami. It's like everything's been pulled out to sea, but then it comes back at us. And and that really normalizes that we might not be surprised when we have an emotion like that. Well, and your body is in this fight, flight, or freeze mode. So you were probably fighting. Mm -hmm. The adrenaline had finally worn off Mm. and you were safe. And yeah. that, and once you became safe, that's good. It, all the emotions came yeah. through yeah. you after six months later. You know, I, I'm backtracking just a little bit because I want to know, and I feel like it's still relevant to you know after the six months, but before the six months when you were on your way home, I feel like so many people can relate to this, whether mm. this is an analogy or not, but to what's going on in their life and what's gone on in my life. But when you're in the car. And you're in traffic and you literally have no control over what's happening at the house and within what's going on with your wife and the baby. What did you tell yourself while you're sitting in traffic? How did you gain peace when you were completely Mm. out of control? It's interesting to look back and think about what was going through my mind at that time. And there's a lot, a lot of that time feels like a blur because like you said, the fight, flight, or or freeze, um, I often tend to freeze. The adrenaline is pumping and you just, it's hard to put back the pieces from what you're feeling in that moment. There's this sense of, of the unknown of what's next. Mm. Whereas the day before I'm going along are predictable. This is life. Do this Monday, do this the next day. And suddenly... All of that predictability is just absolutely gone. Mm, And I know all you can do is just pray. Mm -hmm. And I know it's easy for people often say, you know, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. And sometimes Mm -hmm. it's cheap. Sometimes people just throw that out. But I have learned actually recently that sometimes you say I will pray because you finally realize there is nothing else that you can do. Yeah. And so you have to trust in God who can do something mm-hmm. because you have no control over what happens next. That just took me nine years to figure out. Yeah. We have great perspective looking back. And, you know, sometimes that's the only way we can actually see in that moment. You know, I'm sure you were panicked. I, I'm sure you yeah. were trying to trust. It's a tug of war, you know, and and trying to stay present. So this precious little Eleanor, take us forward then, Ryan, in terms of you have three other daughters. Were they also from a similar birthing situation? Or how did you become a father to three other girls? Yeah, so that is uh, a very different story, but uh, no less exciting. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. When Jenny and I were first married, you know, you have those conversations about what's your next steps in life? What do we do? 
do you want to have kids? Well, yeah, I want to have kids. Well, what do you think about adoption? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds romantic, you know, <laughs> the idea of it. I never was the type of person who, like, no, I only want to have biological children. Some people, that, that feeling is really strong. Mm-hmm. The idea of adoption, it's like, to me, seemed it seemed like a great idea. It was just an idea mm-hmm. at that point, mm-hmm. right? So when I was in school after Eleanor was born, in the state we were living in, we actually had some friends who did foster to adopt. And some people don't understand what that is. So maybe just unpack that a little. Doing foster care, but with the intention, with the hope that you are able to adopt the child that you are, are fostering. And they did three boys, three brothers. And I remember talking with Jenny and after engaging with them, thinking, remembering that conversation we had about adopting. For me, it was remembering. Jenny, it was always on her mind. She was always thinking about it. Mm. And so we started looking in at that possibility. We started filling out paperwork, do the process, and then realize when I'm done with school, we're going to be moving to a different state. And you have to fill the paperwork out all over again, right. right? So we kind of put that on pause and we just were praying Mm. about what the next steps were. In the meantime, we had gone overseas for a missions trip. And while we were there, this was actually the country where uh, Jenny grew up as a missionary kid. Mm. For her, it's going back home. And while we're there, we ended up visiting an orphanage and we'd actually talked to the director or the person who who was running this particular orphanage. And there were no kids that could be adopted because it was also a safe house. So we thought, ah, okay. And only recently had had the country uh, opened up to international, non-familial adoption. Right. So we had that conversation, no options there. So we go, okay, we go back home. Shortly after that, it was actually on, if I remember correctly, January 7th, 2017, (laughs) My mother-in-law, who's a missionary down there, calls me and says she was talking to this director, the person who operated the orphanage, and she told her there were three sisters that were adoptable, and she really wanted to keep them together. Mm -hmm. She wanted to make sure that they weren't separated. Mm -hmm. And she remembered that we had talked about the possibility of adopting. And so she wanted to know, Mm. would we be interested And as I was saying earlier, this corresponds to a time where we had just said, all right, God, what's the next steps? Mm -hmm. He's so funny, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) It's one word. I mean, we had had no idea. We're doing our thing. Yeah. Uh, You think you're just following along. Yeah. Yeah. Going day by day. This is our routine. This is what we do. And unbeknownst to us, God was preparing the way for us to adopt them. It was actually interesting that when we talked about how many kids we want to have, she said, not two, because I'm the youngest of two. And she says, I'm spoiled. <laughs> and she was in a family of three. She was the middle child. And she did not want to do that to anyone else to be the middle child. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we had early on in our marriage said, well, what about four? Mm-hmm. And lo Aww. and behold, when we were able to adopt our three daughters, we ended up getting back to the number four. Wow. Just kind of took a, a different route than yeah. we originally had planned. It was about a year and a half later mm. that we were able to bring them home. How old are your daughters now? 17, 13, 11, and the youngest will be 10. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of experience in this preteen mm-hmm. 
space. Erin would like an appointment with you. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What have you learned being a dad of four girls during a preteen stage? Oh, wow. There are two things I think I want to say. One is more general, not Mm -hmm. so much to do with the age range, but it's something that comes up a lot. And that is whenever we walk into a restaurant or we tell anyone we have four daughters, almost every time I get the same response. Oh, poor you. Oh, my goodness. You're all alone. How do you do it? Mm. And I really, it confuses me Mm. um, because Mm. I don't know how I would be a different dad Mm. to my daughters. I love that. I, like, if I were into sports ball, like my parents, my, my family, big into sports, if I were into, I would still play basketball, football, soccer, whatever. Mm-hmm. If I were into fixing cars, I would show them how to fix cars. Mm-hmm. It Whatever, I don't know what I would really do differently. Mm-hmm. Because my job as a father is, like any parent, to try to show our children what it means to look like Jesus mm. and to point them to Christ. And that doesn't matter whether it's boy or a girl. That is my first and foremost responsibility to them as a father. Mm. So I have learned how to be kind to people who who <laughs> think that having a house full of women is somehow a disadvantage to me because it is not. Mm. I relate to that, Ryan. I have all grandsons. Mm. I just never feel outnumbered or weird either. I mean, I'd be yeah. fine with a grand girl. That's that's fine. But I, I really love what you're saying is that you don't know any other experience and your goal would be the same regardless of gender. And thank yeah. you. It, it just beautifully embraces your father heart. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, we just spent a week at, well, we went down to the American Girl Doll store in Chicago <laughs> and oh, it's fun. not bad. I used to it's love not American bad. girls. Not I had all of them. Did their you? little clothes and their little lockers <laughs> and their little bunk beds. I mean, I ha- I loved American girls. I love it. So to get yes, back we, on track. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Pre-teen uh, stage, you were saying. Pre-teen so stage, yeah. teen stage. There's a temptation, I think, even for me, it still comes up, to view girls as maybe more emotional during mm-hmm. that time. Um, Mm -hmm. than boys. Mm -hmm. I've consulted my parents and I was just as emotional. It just looked a little different. (laughs) Yep. Broody teenage boys. I was there. I did it. But just as a young person, I was very sensitive. I would cry pretty much at anything. Frustrated. Cry. Confused. Cried. Angry. (laughs) Cried. My parents never said, boys don't cry. It was never like that. But I felt like the way to deal with that was basically to cut off all emotions. Mm. Right? That's just, that's the way that I learned to manage it. So after the adoption, I was taking a a pastoral class. In the middle of it, I was working second shift. I was drinking way too much coffee. (laughs) I was a youth pastor intern at our church, working second shift, doing this class. And so I would like one night, I'd get just a couple hours of sleep before I have to get up and Mm. and go to the next day. And I started to develop this pain in my chest. And then I found out those were called feelings and emotions. And I didn't know I didn't know I had them. Oh, no. I forgot that I had had them. Mm. The class I took was 
very beneficial for me because it grounded me in a sense of relating to people at the emotional level, which like I said, boys or girls, Mm -hmm. everyone relates to each other at some sort of emotional level, whether it's a a neutral, a a peaceful, a happy, a sad, angry, bitter, whatever the emotion may be. We have lots of different names for them. But when you start dealing with just some of the crazy stuff Mm -hmm. that our daughters have experienced in their short life, if you're unable to relate to people at the emotional level, you're missing a key component. You are hitting your head against the wall, trying to over-communicate. And I, I was trained to be a teacher. So I think if I explain things, then we're good. Mm-hmm. You're going to understand. I said it. Now you know it. Now we move on with our life. Mm-hmm. But that's not how we work at the emotional level. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm very grateful for that class because, you know, I jumped right into teendom i jumped right into that stage when Mm -hmm. for all of us there's a lot of ups and downs that are going on at that time and i had to figure out how not to try to to fix Mm -hmm. issues come up we work together to address them but i can't fix it for them and you want to because you're to. the protector, right? And you you can see how to fix it. And I'm sure they're like, Dad, I want you to feel it with me. I don't want you to fix it. <laughs> yeah. My, my dad was someone who he would go out of his way to help you. He was a helper. Aww. He would plow on a win- winter morning. He would plow the driveway, scrape off my car and shovel a path in the snow so that I could walk into my car. I never had to do it. Never asked, never, never expected a thank you. It was just, that's what he does. And that's, I'm very similar in that regard. And I want to just, I want to do, I want to help you. You need help. I want to, I want to give it, I want to fix your problem because I don't want you to go through this hard time. And giving up that sense of needing to control and instead to learn to be with them was and is still one of the hardest lessons that I have had to learn and am learning. Because what I trained myself to do, to think through all my problems, there's no amount of thinking. Mm-hmm. You, you can't fix every problem. Sometimes we just need to wait it out and to be there for them. You know, this is so rich, Ryan, and I'm sure everybody listening is going, wow, I wish I had a dad like that. Or wow, I wish my husband was fathering that way. But there's also some of us going, wait a minute, I'd love for my dad to go plow a path to my car and (laughs) clean off my my windshield for me, because that would mean so much to me that he would protect me that way. So I know Mm. you're saying there's a both and here, but maybe that typically, and we don't really want to stereotype, but typically your pattern would have been to think your way through something or to help yes. your way. And so you've you've blended it more with the being yeah, present yeah, and yeah, emotionally yeah. there. I should be clear. I'm learning that you can't do it. Therefore, so I have four ways to mess up. Okay. So I have <laughs> plenty of chances. Four ways to mess plenty up. of chances to yeah. learn. That's right. You can't do it the same with every single one. Yeah. And that requires first learning who they are. 
because when you finally get to just spend time with them and see their personality start to come out, you realize how unique each of them is and that to relate to them requires different things at different times Mm -hmm. in different circumstances and not to try and force them all into one single mold. There's not like a template, right? Yes. It's not like copy and paste. <laughs> that would be nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Wouldn't it? Can we just... <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. And I, I see in the way that our girls are wired so differently. Mm. And they receive help so differently. Yeah. And they feel so differently. And that's just beautiful because that's, that's how God made them. And course to learn how uh, to address conflict, like how to address issues, to how to fix the issues Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. feel the issues. (laughs) Uh, Because sometimes they just, our therapist would say, feel it, don't fix it. Mm. Feel it, don't fix it. Mm. Yeah, And that is, it's hard. I mean, it's hard even, I will say, that's hard for anybody, man or female. Because, you know, you- yeah, because if you, especially if you see your daughter or your son making a choice that you yeah. know the solution to that you could actually fix for yeah. them if they would only, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I just, I parallel it to my relationship with the Lord mm. and how he could fix so mm. many things in my life. And he could do things, do so many things in my life, but I'm so grateful he gives me free will. Mm. to choose yeah. and to feel and and sometimes he fixes and sometimes he feels with me yeah. and i think that's what's so beautiful about the daddy daughter relationship i just i parallel it to my, my so i'm you know grew up with all girls i'm one of three and then i now in a blended family where there are three girls mm. and so i'm seeing this father daughter relationship and I, it almost convicts me mm. when I watch Matt love his girls. It convicts me of how I talked to my dad mm. <laughs> where I will call yeah. him. I'm like, dad, I'm so sorry. You know, I had blind spots because <laughs> the front part of our brain's not developed yet, you know? Oh, my <laughs> goodness. We say that all the time. We just have to remind her, underdeveloped prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. underdeveloped yes. prefrontal mm-hmm. they're not. They literally cannot see. And so, and so as a father, I'm there to yeah. try to minimize damage, not to remove it. The right. temptation is to remove all risk and sure. all potential danger. We do what we can to keep them safe to a certain uh, extent yeah. because they have to. What, the thing about humans is we just, we have to explore. Mm-hmm. We have to, some people have to learn by failure and letting them because I was terrified of failure. And so this is, I know it's very common, I think, to try to, to impose yourself. yourself. Yes, we to try to yourself. reparent ourselves yeah. the way we parent our children. And our children yeah. don't need necessarily what we needed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was an- anxious about making mistakes, mm-hmm. never wanted to make mistakes. And so I have the risk of doing that to them, mm-hmm. to making them anxious, even if that's not the type of person that they are. Mm-hmm. And so learning to respect them, especially in an adoption situation, to respect where they have come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instead of assuming that, you know, they're going to relate to me 
like a biological father, you know, mm-hmm. someone that you've had maybe since a, a, an infant. That's why. But giving them the time and the space. That's good. Um, and just being there waiting and ready for them when they are open to coming and having that relationship. You know, we've got a lot of women listening. We've, I'm sure we have men listening to us today. And just, just what kind of advice or wish or passion mm. would you offer for fathers of daughters in terms of how mm. they can show up, no matter what the age is? I mean, they may think, oh, it's too late. You know, my daughter's 40. Or they may think, mm. oh, it doesn't matter. She's six months old, you know, or, she, oh, my mm. gosh, she's a teenager. You know, what, what kind of yeah. words would you say? The thing that God has taken me through in the last five years or so, before the adoption, but also through and, and since the adoption, has been just how divided my attention is. And to realize that my attention is a, a finite, limited resource. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what that became was the use of social media for when I was in school, trying to network, trying to make contacts. God showed me that I was giving all of my time, my emotions, my presence to people I've never even met in real life. And that the more I gave to them, the less I actually had for my wife and for my daughters. Mm. And so I would encourage fathers to, when you are present, to be fully, fully present and to enjoy just being with your daughter, to enjoy them as the gifts of God that they are and to turn off the phone, put it away. People have lived for thousands of years without phones you will survive (laughs) and just be because it is those relationships it is that presence that helps ground people in knowing that they are loved and that they are safe that they are accepted by you and it is in those moments that they then have the courage to go out and do the hard things, mm-hmm. that they can grow and become the strong, amazing people that God has made them to be. But first, you have to just be fully present when you are with them. That is really practical. Can you take it now one step further? And how as a dad, can you also help your daughter's your children feel seen and heard by God. I mean, he is there mm. present, but we don't often recognize his presence. Mm. So how can how can you as a parent help your kids feel seen and heard? I don't do it well. I don't I don't always model it, but I think one thing that I've been trying to do lately is when my daughters come to me mm. for whatever reason, oldest daughter is applying for summer jobs. Help her go through the process. She gets the job. How do I respond to her? Do I rejoice when she rejoices? Do I say, that's amazing. You, what an accomplishment. I am am proud of you. You're going to do a great job. Or do I just jump to the, the, don't forget to do this. Don't forget to do this. You got to do that. When you go there, don't mess up. What are you going to, yeah. That's what I want to go to. But instead, just 
when they are proud of something they accomplished, to genuinely and sincerely be there and say, that was amazing. That's great. You did a great job praising them when they do something well, when they are struggling, being there with them, not running away when they are yelling and screaming at you to go away. I mean, give them space, but sure. to not be afraid of those big emotions because mm, yes. we have a lot of those. goes back to Psalm 88. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be able to, yeah. to be that way. So those are the types of things that I try to do. I try to have them feel actually heard when they are going through, even if I think it's something that is not a big deal. Big picture, I know this is not a big deal. I'm sorry that that happened. Not trying to explain it, not trying to minimize it, but just to acknowledge what they are going through, whether it's happy or sad, and to continue to just be there with them. And one thing, and I don't know if this will exactly get to the question, but one thing we do try to do is, is as a family, just to do things together as a family, Mm -hmm. uh, we've started now doing more games together. And what an opportunity to simulate different emotions, right? Joy when they win, disappointment when they lose. And it's, it's practice. Those types of events are practice for when they get into into the you world. And mm-hmm. I can be there with them because our whole childhood life is an opportunity to fail in the best possible way because we know that our, our parents are there for us and we know it's not the end of the world. We know mm-hmm. that we are safe and that we are loved. I appreciate how Ryan leans into the uncomfortable feelings. That's exactly what God does with us. Showing up for people through a hard moment models the fatherly love that God has for all of us. Yeah, Aaron, that was such a beautiful close. Well, before we go, we would love for you to check out Ryan's wife, Jenny Clevenger, on God Hears Her, episode 92. And we had Ryan on Discover the Word a little while ago in a series called Testing to talk about the early Christian writers often labeled the church fathers. Be sure to check those out. You can find a link for those and more on our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Jade Gussman and Mary Jo Clark. We also want to thank the amazing Contact Center at Our Daily Bread for all their help and support. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.